Let's enjoy God's word. Acts 22, verse 23. Actually, I'll start at 22. Up to this point, they listened to him. This would be the Apostle Paul. Then they raised their voice and said, Away with such a, such a fellow from the earth, for he should not be allowed to live. And as they were shouting and throwing off their cloaks and flinging dust into the air, the tribune ordered him to be ordered into the barracks, staying that, saying that he should be examined by flogging to find out why they were shouting against him like this. But when they had stretched him out for the whips, Paul said to the centurion who was standing by, Is it lawful for you to flog a man who is a Roman citizen and uncondemned? When the centurion heard this, he went to the tribune and, and said to him, what are you about to do? For this man is a Roman citizen. So the tribune came and, and said to him, Tell me, are you a Roman citizen? And he said, Yes. The tribune answered, I brought this citizen, I bought this citizenship for a large sum. And Paul said, But I am a citizen by birth. So those who were about to examine him withdrew from him immediately. And the tribune was also afraid. For he realized that Paul was a Roman citizen and that he had bound him. But on the next day, desiring to know the real reason why he was being accused by the Jews, he, he unbound him and commanded the chief priests and all the council to meet. And he brought Paul down and set him before them. And looking intently at the council, Paul said, Brothers, I have lived my life before God in all good conscience up to this day. And the high priest Ananias commanded those who stood by him to strike him on the mouth. Then Paul said to him, God is going to strike you, you whitewashed wall. Are you sitting to judge me according to the law? And yet contrary to the law, you order me to be struck? Those who stood by him, those who stood by said, would you revile God's high priest? And Paul said, I did not know, brothers, that he was the high priest, for it's written, you shall not speak evil of the ruler of your people. Now when Paul perceived that part were Sadducees and the other part Pharisees, he cried out in the council, Brothers, I am a Pharisee, a son of Pharisees. It is with respect to the hope and the resurrection of the dead that I am on trial. And when he had said this, a dissension arose between the Pharisees and the Sadducees, and the assembly was divided. For the Sadducees say that there is no resurrection, no angel, no spirit, but the Pharisees acknowledge them all. Then a great clamor arose, and some of the scribes of the Pharisees' party stood up and contended sharply. We find nothing in this man, in this man. What, what if a spirit or an angel spoke to him? And when the dissension became violent, the tribune, afraid that Paul would be torn to pieces by them, commanded the soldiers to go down and take him away from, the, from among them by force and bring him into the barracks. The following night, the Lord stood by him and said, Take courage. For as you have testified to the facts about me in Jerusalem, so you must testify also in Rome. This is the word of the Lord. Let's pray for God's blessing on his word. Father God, you are good, and you have so blessed us with providing us your written word that was inspired by your spirit, given to men, and handed down through the generations 
for our instruction, for our growth, to convict us of our sin and point us to Jesus. Lord, I pray this morning that you will take my humble attempts to to use Scripture to edify the body of Christ, to build them up, to teach them, to empower them, strengthen them, encourage them. Lord, use this time. If there's any amongst us who has hard hearts, would you soften them? Lord, we know that you can do great things, and we trust that this morning. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. I don't know what your experience is with being a witness for Christ. But my experience is that it definitely has its moments of up and down. There are definitely moments in my life where I can say it's at an all-time plateau where there is absolutely no up, no down, no movement whatsoever. That it is basically flatlined. That there's moments, days, weeks, maybe even months where me sharing the gospel, me witnessing to the truths of the gospel has been minimal to none. And I don't know if that's true for you. You may work in a Christian institution. You may say you have a Christian family and an upbringing. But the fact of being a witness for Christ is maybe even a rare thing. You may live Christianly, but the fact of being a witness for Christ is a whole different thing. But if you've been in it for any length of time, if you've been a Christian at all and you have been a faithful witness or tried to be a faithful witness, you can honestly say that you have blown it plenty of times. I, I, I know from my own personal experience, as I've tried to share the gospel, witness to the truth of the gospel, how Jesus has impacted my life, there are times where I have absolutely blown it. Where I go, oh God, how are you going to use this? Because I bombed this. I totally bombed this. And in spite of all the years of training and the books that I've read on, on this subject, I still find that witnessing is this up and down kind of sort of thing. Sometimes I do okay. Sometimes I do terrible. Sometimes I do nothing. I believe that Paul's story given to us in, in Scripture here by, by Luke should encourage every Christian in the ups and downs of their witnessing life. Even though Paul probably could have handled things a little bit better than he did here, the Lord graciously at the end of this section, and I love it, this, it's the only thing that's highlighted on this page for me. The Lord came to him in his moment of absolute discouragement and said, take courage. He stood beside him and said, take courage. For as you've testified to the facts here in Jerusalem, so you will also have to do in Rome. This morning, I want our lesson to be this, the main theme to be this. If we will speak out for Christ, even if we blow it, he will graciously encourage us and give us further opportunities to speak for him. We will blow it. I, I want that to be 
understood as a guarantee. I don't care where you are in your Christian faith, how long you've been a Christian, what kind of Christian upbringing you've had, if you had Christian education, Christian higher education, or no Christian education whatsoever, you are, you are going to blow this thing called witnessing. And even if you do blow it, the beauty about our God is that he will graciously encourage us and he will give us further opportunities to share again. In Acts 22, 1 through 22, uh, Paul was given the opportunity to preach to the Jewish mob that had just tried to kill him. They listened to him until he told them that the Lord was going to send him to Gentiles because the people in Jerusalem were not going to listen to him. They were not going to receive the gospel. So the Lord said to him, I am sending you to the Gentiles to be my witness. And at the word Gentiles, the crowd erupted. They went absolutely crazy. It was like a pack of wolves going after their prey where they went after Paul. They were going after him. And since Paul was preaching more than likely in Aramaic, the natural tongue of the day, the Roman commander probably had no clue what Paul was speaking. So he was listening on and he's, he's seeing how the crowd is suddenly being attentive. Then all of a sudden he says a word and the crowd goes nuts. Could you imagine? This man pleads to go back out and, and share the reason. Maybe this will clear things up. And all of a sudden, everybody is listening with bated breath. What is he going to say? And they're all listening. And all of a sudden, he says one word. And they come at him. And this commander was bound and determined to find out the real reason as to why this was going on. And so what was he going to be doing? He was going to examine him by torture. Kind of a, a Roman waterboarding kind of technique, if you will, by bind, binding him to some boards, tying him down, and he was going to beat his bare back with a leather whip that at the end of had small rocks or pieces of metal or bare bone attached to it. And it would leave a man severely crippled and could result in death. This was the exact same treatment that Pilate inflicted on Jesus prior to his crucifixion. And as these soldiers were tying Paul down for this waterboarding technique of getting information out of him, Paul calmly, I can imagine, says, So is it lawful? I'm sorry. Is it lawful for you to do this since I'm a Roman citizen and I'm uncondemned? And immediately, because Paul was exercising his legal right to protection, which is there's nothing wrong with it. The Roman centurion at that point goes, oh, dear Lord, what have we done here? Alarmed that the commander came to to Paul and, and discovered that in, indeed he was a Roman citizen. In fact, Paul was born a citizen. He did not purchase his citizenship. He was a naturalized, born Roman citizen. And since it could have cost this Roman centurion and the commander their entire life, his position to scourge a Roman citizen without a trial, the commander quickly untied Paul 
he realized that he had overstepped his bounds. But since he still was in charge of maintaining the peace in Jerusalem, he wanted to find out what was really going on between Paul and the Jews. So he called together the, the Jewish Sanhedrin, the council, and brought them all together to get to the bottom of this conflict, so he thought. It wasn't long until the council itself was uproar, in an uproar and in such conflict among themselves in response to something that Paul had said again, that the commander had to rescue this troublesome man again. Each time Paul was witnessing to the truth of the gospel, each time. And I think there's at least three things that we can learn from Paul and his experience in sharing the gospel. And the first thing that we can learn is that we are all responsible to speak out for Jesus Christ when he gives us opportunities. Let me say it again. We are all responsible. Everyone who says that they are a Christ follower, we are all responsible to speak out for Christ when he gives us opportunities. If you have trusted in Christ as your Lord and your Savior, then you are his witness. You are his witness. Your life is constantly on the stand. As a witness is in court saying, no, let, I swear to tell the truth, the whole truth, nothing but the truth, so help me God. This is the truth of the gospel, of what Jesus Christ did and came and accomplished for me. This is the truth of the gospel. This is it. So every time you are saying that I am a Christ follower, whenever you are identifying with Christ, you are a witness to him. By his name, you are, you are identified with him. By your actions, by your attitudes, by your words, you are a witness for him. All that you say, all that you do, all that you think is a witness for Christ. And as he gives you opportunities, you should bear verbal witness. 1 Peter 3 says this, In your hearts, honor Christ the Lord as holy, always being prepared to make a defense to anyone who gives you who asks for a reason for the hope that is in you yet do it with gentleness and respect having a good conscience so that when you are slandered those who revile your good behavior in Christ may be put to shame always be prepared to make a defense to anyone anyone Chapter 22, 1 through 22, Paul had given his defense. And 23 verse 1 says he did it with good conscience. And we can learn from this that we should always be on alert for opportunities to speak out for Christ. Paul had just been mobbed and badly beaten by this Jewish crowd. He'd been rescued. And his first thought was what? Man, let's book a trip. Let's book a trip and get out of Dodge. Let's go to a far Caribbean island where I can walk on the 
the white sands of this beach and just not be persecuted for the sake of the gospel. That wasn't his, his first thought. His, his first thought was to address the crowd that had just beat them, beat him, and tell them about Jesus. It makes no sense, but the, he was searching every opportunity. He was looking for an opportunity to share the gospel, to tell people about it, even after he had been badly beaten. And when he was before the Jewish council, again, he would attempt to tell them about his experience with Christ, although he did not get very far. And later, he would have audiences with Roman governors, and he would tell them about Christ. And this didn't happen just by chance or because Paul was a natural preacher. 1 Corinthians 9, 22 and 23, he explains, I have become all things to how many people? All people. I've become all things to all people that by all means I might stay, save some. I do it all for the sake of the gospel that I may share with them in its blessings. It was his mantra. It was his deliberate aim, his deliberate purpose is that I am going to become all things to all people so that by all means some might be saved and I do it all for the sake of the gospel. This is my life purpose as a follower of Jesus Christ to be his witness. I'm going to do all things for him. I'm going to do all things for him. If we want to imitate Paul in obedience to our Lord, we need to make, it, make this our frequent prayer. prayer. Lord, give me opportunities to speak out for me. God, just give me constant opportunities presented before me. And then, Lord, give me the words to say when those opportunities arise. And maybe I should also end, Lord, give me the boldness to step into those opportunities. Don't just give me opportunities. Don't give me just words without boldness. Because if I don't have the boldness, I'm just going to think up here and go, ah, shoot, I missed that opportunity again. I should have just done something. Lord, give me opportunities with words and with a boldness so that I may step into these opportunities that you've given me. We can also know that we need to say things. And we should know in advance words and stories and things so that we can bear witness effectively. Last week we saw that Paul basically shared his testimony, his life before Christ, his conversion, and his life afterwards. And even if you don't have a dramatic story, much like me, of coming to Christ, you can tell people what God has done for your soul and what he wills to do for you. Beyond that, you should be armed with the basic facts of the gospel, accompanied by scripture to present it absolutely clearly. Learn some simple illustrations to help clarify. Learn how to respond to the common objections that people raise. Listen to podcasts that are out there. Seriously. Equip yourself, read, study. Much of our fear of witnessing is due to the fact that we don't know what to say. I'm scared because he's going to ask me or she's going to ask me this. Oh, I don't want to look stupid, so I'm not going to say anything. I believe some basic training can offset that fear very quickly. 
Additionally, what we've got to do is our lives have got to back up our words. Our lives have got to back up our words. Paul begins his witness in Jerusalem by saying this, Brothers, I have lived my life before God in all good consciousness, conscious up to this day. I've lived my life in such a way that you are, should be honored, that God is honored and God is glorified. And, and honestly, before God, I can say, I, I can't think of anything. I can't think of anything. Later, he tells Felix. So I always take pains to have a clear conscience towards God and man. I, it's talking about I work hard, that there is nothing between God and nothing between man that will separate us in any way. I want to have a clean and clear conscience that nothing that I say, nothing that I will do, the way that I live will not be in conflict with the gospel. I want to live in such a way. He told the Corinthians in Corinthians 4.4, 4, I am not aware of anything against me but I am not thereby acquitted, for it is God who judges me. I can't think of anything. Some have wondered how Paul could say these things in, in the light that he had just got done persecuting the church. He was breathing out murderous threats against the church. He was out to get him, kill, seek, kill, destroy, whatever it is. But he, but to have a good conscience before God does not mean to live perfectly. Hear that. But it means to live openly, confessing our sins and turning from them when God convicts us of them. In this life, we are not seeking perfection because that will lead to death, perfection. We are to live openly before a holy God confessing our sins when he makes, brings them to light and then turning from them. Also, our consciences must be informed by what? God's word. God's word. Or else our conscience will be a faulty guide. Paul was acting in good conscience when he persecuted the church, but he was terribly wrong because his conscience at that time was informed by his Jewish culture rather than by the scriptures. And if a person deliberately, time and time and time and time and time again, violates his conscience repeatedly, it will lead to a seared, calloused, hard conscience, insensitive to all wrongdoings. And it's only by the blood of Jesus Christ applied to our hearts that we will have a clean conscience. So the point is here that if we speak out for Jesus Christ, we should, be, we should not be aware of any wrongdoing that is going on that we've committed either against God or against man that we have not repented of or been made right of. Otherwise, our witness will be used against the Lord and against his gospel because unbelievers will shrug us off as hypocrites. Shrug us off. If you are not seeking to maintain a clear conscience between God and men, if you're not working hard and making sure this is right and that this is right, be very careful in your witnessing because they are very perceptive of saying, uh-huh, that's what I thought. You say this, 
you do this. Our lives have got to match up with our words. But the reality is that sometimes when we do speak up for the Lord, second point is we will blow it or things will not go as we hoped. It's just the reality. Even if we do have a good conscience between God and man, and we are striving, and we have the best intentions, and we, we have thought, we have researched, we've gone into, done all this, listened to all the podcasts out there, read all the books out there. We, we, we know how to do apologetic work with people. We're clear about what the gospel is. Even when we have done all these things, we will blow it. And things won't go as we hope. That's just the reality. If you haven't blown it by witnessing, you're probably not witnessing. But you can't let the fear of saying the wrong thing keep you from saying anything. You learn from your mistakes and you trust God to overrule and use your mistakes for his purpose. We, we, need to, we need to keep on keeping on. If God has taken and transformed your heart, your lives, and made you a new creation in Christ, one of the things that you need to do is what? Continue sharing the gospel. And if you mess up in that process, you say, God, I know. I, I've tried my best. I have good conscience. I've tried my best. God, would you overrule my stupidity, my ignorance? the situation, and would you use even that for your purpose? See, Paul began his witness before the council looking at them intently, which probably means it involved eye contact and by reading their faces. Facial expressions and body language can tell you a lot about where people are at. And I've become a pro at it. As I watch even on Sunday mornings, I can tell where you're at. When a wife kind of leans over to her husband after I said something, does one of these. I know what's going on. It doesn't take a PhD, a master's, or a bachelor's to figure out, he said something that I don't like. It doesn't require advanced degrees to understand body language and eye contact. As a pastor, I have felt it over the years of teaching about controversial subjects and all of a sudden people, you see this. Or all of a sudden the eyes go out, out the window. And Paul looked intently at this council and read their faces. And he made his open statement by saying, listen, I was living a good conscience before God. The verb, the Greek verb translated, I live my life, means to live as a citizen. And in this context, it was more than likely a reference to Paul's life as a Jew in the Jewish theocracy, the Jewish way of life. And he was denying the charge leveled against him of bringing a Gentile into the Jewish courts. But we can't tell for sure where Paul was going from this point. Because in reality, that's all the further that he got. Perhaps he was going to show them how he had been sincere in persecuting the Christians, but he had been sincerely wrong. 
From there, he, he could have appealed to their, their knowledge of their errors and however sincerely that they made these errors. And, but Paul didn't have a chance to go any further because Ananias, the, the high priest, ordered those standing beside Paul to strike him in the mouth. Now, you've got to remember that Paul had been badly beaten by a very angry mob. His face was probably sore, bruised, and the blow must have terribly shocked him and hurt terribly. Also, the, the high priest's command to strike him was grossly unjust and revealed that he was not interested in justice at all, but only in getting Paul condemned. His desire to shut him up immediately was his desire. But we also need to know that Ananias was notoriously corrupt. Notoriously corrupt as a high priest. Even Josephus, one of the early recorders of Jewish history, said he stole from the common priests and used violence and political power to further his goals. The Jewish nationalists hated Ananias because Ananias was pro-Roman. And as a Jewish person, being underneath the rule of Gentiles, dirty, filthy Gentiles, that was just absolutely unacceptable. So even during the, the, Rome, the Jewish revolution against Rome, some Jewish loyalists assassinated him. So you can see there were some mixed issues going on in this closed-door session. And as soon as it happened, as soon as Paul was hit, Paul shot back, are you really going to strike me? Are you serious? You whitewashed wall. Basically calling him a dead tomb. You know, you look really good whitewashed, but you are a place where dead bodies are found. And he spoke out quite strongly about this. But when some bystanders next to Paul, the ones who struck him, said, are, are you really going to talk about God's high priest in this way? Paul quickly, what did he do? He quickly became aware of the, his error. And he said, I should not revile God nor curse the ruler of your people. A quote from Exodus 22. Scripture commands us to respect the office, if not the man puzzling question is why didn't Paul recognize Ananias why didn't he know that he was the high priest the reality is that we don't know he was in a, a Roman forum and maybe he dressed differently maybe the room was dark maybe Ananias was intentionally dressed differently to disguise his nature maybe Paul was so badly beaten he could hardly see Whatever the case is, we don't know why, but we have to take his word for him, from him that he did not know that he was the God's high priest. And from that, we've got to understand, when we blow it and realize our error, when we blow it because it's going to happen and realize our error, we should be quick to admit it and correct our mistake. That is one of my hardest issues anybody have pride issues 
liars. <laughs> we all have pride issues. And when, when, a mis- when we realize a mistake has happened, what do we do? Kind of turn and go the other way or just say, told you, you know. We, we don't quickly come and recognize and our mistake, our error. And then we don't, on top of that, correct it. We often have half apologies, don't we? I'm sorry. Sorry, man. That won't happen again. Really? How often do we hear those cheap words? But Paul, if he would have stonewalled and let his pride win, it would have only reinforced the fact that he is not in Christ. And the same is true with us. If we stonewall, it will only reinforce the fact of people's prejudice that Christians really are phonies, that Christians really are hypocrites. And if we confess our mistakes, confess our sins, people will get the message that Christians are not perfect. Thank God. Christians are not perfect, but they will be willing to admit Christians are willing to admit that they do make mistakes and they desire to make things right. And then perhaps they will learn that there is a true reality in walking with Christ. I trust that God will use my confessions of when I err and I make mistakes to open the way for the gospel to come to another person, to that person through some other means. Or maybe, again, through me. We also need to learn that when things don't go the way we hope, we must trust God to use it anyway. After his admission, Paul took another track, another way, another motive, perceiving that the council was evenly split with ardent Pharisees and ardent Sadducees. He made a, a, a tactical move. He said, brothers, I am a Pharisee. It's like uh, walking into Congress and saying, I'm a Republican. And all of a sudden there's an uproar, you know. I'm a Democrat. I'm a this and that. This was even more tense. They were pitted against each other and often locked into heated debates where there would be no movement. Not only did he say, I'm a Pharisee, he said, I'm a son of, a, of the Pharisees. So it's like, I've got a heritage in this. And then he goes on for the clincher. It is with respect to the hope and the resurrection of the dead that I'm on trial. That's the real reason. And boom. The Roman commander goes, oh, shoot. Here we go again. What is going on? It erupts. And Luke explains it's because the Sadducees do not believe in angels and spirits and the resurrection. And the Pharisees believe strongly in those things. And the whole place was just up in a turmoil again. And it was the commander who again had to finally rescue Paul again from this crowd. Paul right or wrong in in presenting this tactic to divide the council and deliver himself? Who knows? Some accuse him of being deceitful, claiming that he is a Pharisee to save his own neck. If that was Paul's scheme, he was probably wrong. Others say that 
he knew he would never get a fair trial before the Sanhedrin and that they were too hostile to listen to the gospel. Thus he employed a, a, a tactic to deliver himself from certain condemnation. But it's possible that Paul's intent here was to use his background as a Pharisee to establish common ground with the Pharisees who were present and tried to move from there to bear witness to Jesus' resurrection and the gospel. If it was his intent, the reality is it still didn't work. It bombed. Even if Paul was extremely strategic, it bombed. Whatever his intent was, we've all had times where we have tried a certain approach to evangelism, but it didn't go as we hoped. It just didn't. Perhaps a person reacted in an unexpected kind of way and told us that he or she never wanted to talk about faith again. I've had those conversations. Or I've had really good, warm conversations around a cup of Starbucks at Starbucks and all of a sudden the person's, and the debate gets a little heated or somebody feels a little pressed in and all of a sudden it's like, you know, I, I, let's not talk about faith again. And you shoot. How did this happen? And at that point, all we can do is trust. Trust that God will use our feeble attempts and remember that God doesn't need perfect disciples to accomplish his sovereign plan. He doesn't need perfect disciples with perfect laid plans to accomplish his plans. Maybe you've seen it in your marriage. Maybe you've seen it in your child rearing. Maybe you've seen it in your reaching out to family and friends where God doesn't, he uses an imperfect person with imperfect motives. But yet God, somehow through all those things, God is glorified. And in some cases, in some cases, a person comes to Christ. The eyes of their hearts are opened up wide and they respond to the gospel. It's a beautiful thing. The thing that I need to end on, though, is this. When we blow it as witnesses, the last point, when we blow it as witnesses, the Lord graciously encourages us and gives us further opportunities to speak out for him. That night, I can identify with Paul. That night as Paul lay awake in bed, he was discouraged. I want you to imagine this. Things had not gone well in Jerusalem. He had had a very fruitful ministry to the Gentiles. Very fruitful. And Paul had talked about the Gentiles as brothers, people that he has loved. They are dear to him. They would weep over him. He had a very fruitful ministry to these Gentiles. And now he comes to Jerusalem. And what happens? The church had not received 
his gift and the spirit that he had hoped. Then they got him involved in a scheme to keep the law, which led to his arrest, which led to him being beat up. And his witness before the Sanhedrin had not gone well. And the future looked uncertain and absolutely bleak. And he wasn't even sure he was going to be able to get to Rome at this point. Because who knows, these Jewish, Jewish leaders, the elders of the, of the Jewish people could have easily connected with the Roman centurion, the, the commander, and said, listen, let us just take care of this ourselves." And he was deeply discouraged. I bombed this. And I feel that sometimes as a Christ. I feel that as a pastor. I feel that as a father, as a husband. Man, I bombed this. I screwed this up. How in the world, if I call myself a Christ follower, how did I get from here to here? Maybe it's true for you too. You've bombed it. You've screwed it up. You're discouraged. You're losing all hope. You have no idea how to get out of it. You, like Paul, are locked down. And you're wondering, is there any way out? And the beautiful thing is, at that moment, verse 31, at that moment, the Lord himself stood at Paul's side. It doesn't say it was a, a vision of the Lord. Paul wasn't having a dream. He wasn't having just a warm fuzzy, just having a prayer service with Jesus. At that moment, the Lord himself stood by Paul and said, take courage. Take courage. For as you testified to the facts about me in Jerusalem, so you must testify to me in Rome. Take courage. What words of encouragement, what words of hope for Paul when he had hit the bottom, physically abused, emotionally frustrated, spiritually just done. And the Lord says, take courage. At this point, I don't have enough time to give too much to it, so come back next week. But I want you to see the grace. I want you to see the encouragement that the Lord extends to his servants. This is the fourth time that the Lord appeared to Paul just when Paul needed it, just when he needed it, the Lord came and spoke these words of encouragement. Just when Paul needed it. If such appearances of Christ were very rare for Paul, they are extremely rare, if any, for the rest of us. I, I have heard missionary stories in, in countries that were the gospel has not yet reached where persecuted prisoners or uh, people who have yet to know Christ have seen a vision of the Lord 
And I don't doubt in any way these experiences, but the normal way that the Lord encourages us when we feel that we have blown it is to bring us to an encouraging word of Scripture. Or through an encouraging word or note from someone who may not even know that we need it at that moment. How many of you have had that? Just when you are just at the bottom and somebody who has no clue about your circumstances just says, hey, I just want to encourage you. I don't know why, but I just feel like I need to encourage you and love on you. Is everything okay? And at that moment, you go, oh God, you are just so where you're sitting in church a particular Sunday morning and you are just at the bottom again. And I've had this where people come up and just say, man, you have no idea how timely that message was. Or did you write that knowing about what's going on in my life? I'm going, are you serious? I have no clue. But God in his sovereignty works things out to encourage us. To strengthen us. For me as a pastor, that, that's also a little exclamation mark on the critical nature of the body of Christ. The importance of praying for one another, of being in community with one another, to be accountable to one another, to be in a covenant relationship with one another. So that when the storms come, when your marriage is on the rocks, when things at work are terrible, when you feel alone and distressed and a failure, the body of Christ comes together to encourage you, to open the Word of God with you, to point you back to Jesus. God is always aware always aware of our discouragement and he always wants us to be encouraged by the promise of his presence and the assurance that he will use us again in the future the beauty is if you have a messed up painful marriage right now and you trust God and he is encouraging you and you are in community, and they are all working together, God is going to use you and your marriage again. If you are in a tough place in your workplace, and things look like it is at a bomb, God is going to use that again for His glory. If you messed it up, God is the God who takes mess-ups and makes it beautiful. The reality is that we are going to royally botch things up. Royally. But we need to be encouraged with the Lord's faithfulness and be reminded by the fact that He will work His sovereign purpose in spite of my failures, in spite of your failures, in spite of my mistakes, in spite of your mistakes. And if you, if you are discouraged, I want you to be encouraged. 
even if you've blown it at your witness. I want you to get up again and get up with His strength, with His encouragement. I want you to hear the words of Christ in Acts 23, verse 11. Take courage. Take courage. Because the beautiful thing is that there's a promise that I will be with you until the very end. And then you will be with me on through eternity. I will be with you. God will use you. God will use me. In spite of our mistakes. In spite of our brokenness. For His glory. Amen? Let's pray.